Um, the title graphic today does not have a part one or a part two on it, but it should, because it was about early morning when I had the realization um, this, is, this is a two-part message. Um, and uh, even with us taking time to, to honor Sarah and to honor Dan, um, which we love to do, that's part, of, that's part of our values. That's part of who we are. We honor. I mean, that, that those are some of the values that we hold dear. Um, it's, it, it works nicely and conducive in kind of having the two-part message. But I want to encourage you. Now you've got to come back next week. Because I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, be coy, like, or even, like, strategic <laughs> or manipulative or anything. But, like, next week, man, that's the part I really want to preach. Like, the stuff that's there next week, I'm like, oh, i got to wait a week to preach that. Um, but part of the reason is, uh, is we're going to be covering a book of the Bible that is my favorite book of the Bible. We're going to be covering three back-to-back-to-back verses that are my three favorite verses in the entire Bible. I think they're among the most powerful three verses in all of Scripture. And next week, we will cover my single favorite Scripture, you know, Bible verse in the entire Bible. So how's that for, um, for a trailer, for a spoiler? Not really a spoiler. Righteousness. What if we had to come before the Lord and present our absolute best in the hope that it was enough. Our righteousness. Our best our best effort, our best, and I don't care what we string together, our best 24 hours, that's daunting. Maybe the best six hours. String together the best six hours we can, the most righteous six hours we can. Our finest, most godly six hours where that our actions lined up with obedience to God and his word, where our heart was 100% pure, where our thoughts were 100% pure. And what if we had to present that stretch, that six-hour best that we could come up with and present that to the Lord in the hope that that was enough for him to deem us righteous? we would fail miserably because God does require 100% righteousness. Do you realize that? He requires 100% righteousness. Now, if you only knew part of the story, that could seem very, very, very discouraging because we're not even close. But In and through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God provided 100% righteousness. 100% righteousness. And I love that. It's not 95% on God and 5% on you, 5% on me, because guess what? We we would still tank that 5%. Today I want to talk about an introduction to a people that has never been met to a church of which the origins were not known, the church planter was not known in a city that has never been visited. Because that's what Paul did. 
Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome, and for us, we know it as the book of what? Romans, yeah, not rocket science. Yeah, not a trick question. Romans, it's Romans. He wrote the book of Romans. He wrote it to a church, to a people he had never met before. To a church that no one, even historians and biblical scholars, don't know who planted the church. In the most influential city in the world at that time, Jerusalem might have been close, but Rome was the capital of what empire? The Roman. Again, it's not a tr- these aren't trick questions. It's not rocket science. The Roman Empire. Rome is the capital. And Paul made introductions. If you had to make an introduction like that, what would you include? We're going to go over what Paul included because the first seven verses, he makes this wonderful introduction. But he also didn't just introduce self. He introduced a message. If you had to make an introduction like that, where where you touched on who you are, but more importantly, you said, I I come with a message. I come with the most powerful message that will bring you life and liberty, and that message will bring assurance to you that you don't even have, there's not even 5% on you, it's 100% on God. But it requires total belief and total faith and total trust in God. It is good news. In fact, that's the message he says he was called to bring was the good news. We know that as the gospel, right? The good news. Paul's the messenger bringing good news. That good news is called the gospel. A little bit of background in in Rome. And it, it, how many history buffs do we have out there? I love history. Love history. It is my favorite subject. Um, history and government. Love them. Um, Rome was an evil, dirty, corrupt city. Rome was a city where the most debaucherous things took place, where the most profane gods were exalted and worshipped. Um, and at this point in the history of the church, where Christians were ultimately captured, tortured, and killed in the most profane ways. If you anyone ever heard the name Nero, the Roman governor uh, or emperor Nero, he ultimately is the one who was responsible for the death of Paul in the city of Rome. But prior to 67, 68 uh, A.D., when when Paul was killed by Nero, eleven years prior, Paul makes this plea to a city he'd never been to, to a church he'd never met, to a people he'd never met, saying, "I long." to come to you. And I find that so interesting. Did he did he have a glimpse of what his destiny was in that city? Like I, I just I wonder. I, I don't have an answer to that, but I wonder. Did did God give him a glimpse of saying, You're going to be used mightily in a city in which the world is going to be changed, but this is the city that you're going to die in. And was Paul's response, I long to be there. Lord, I long to fulfill what you've called me to. Lord, I long to do and and to touch the people that you've called me to, that you've put me next door to. I long to be there, but until I can be there, I'll send this letter. Paul's letter to the Romans, and I think this is really cool. 
one of the most influential letters ever written. And there's only two books of the Bible that, that, which Paul wrote to churches that weren't in the midst of turmoil, that weren't in the midst of crisis and confusion and a need of a problem that needed to be solved. And those books are Romans. And anyone want to guess what the other book is? Just a random guess. No, I mean, uh, I'd say there's no wrong answers, but there's lots of wrong answers. There's only one right answer. Wait, what's the next one? Anyone want to guess? Nope. Ephesians. Oh, yay. You're so smart and you're so pretty. Yeah. That's my wife, everybody. I don't tell every woman she's pretty. That's my wife. When you read Romans, man, it, so it's important to have this backstory, if you will. God wants us to have a heart for a people, for a region, for a church, for, for whatever it is, and to the point that, that we can't stop ourselves from bringing Jesus to them, from raving about Jesus to them. Young people, it might not be that he's asking you to write a letter to a church in a far-off city. What if it's that, that person that's in your neighborhood that you often see troubled or alone? What if it's a classmate? What if it's someone that is by themselves in the cafeteria? I promise you this. God loves that person, and God wants to get his good news to that person, and why not you? And it's a good question to say, Lord, what can I do for you, Lord? What would you have me do? How can I represent you? God led Paul to write Romans to explain himself and his mission and his call to a Gentile majority church. You realize that by the time that, that Paul wrote this letter, the church was no longer majority Jewish. The church was majority Gentile. But there's an intermingling of Jewish, so there's an intermingling of tradition, and there's an intermingling of the, of, uh, the Mosaic law, and, and because of that, there's, there's clarity that's needed, which this book, I mean, Paul so wonderfully breaks down. But he's basically speaking to a, uh, a Gentile, a non-Jewish audience predominantly. Um, I said before, no one knows for sure who started the Christian church in Rome. But you want to know what most scholars believe? In Acts chapter 2. When 3,000 were added to the faith that day, uh, when, when on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell and Peter just gets anointed and fearful Peter, who had, who had denied the Lord, now stands before thousands and proclaims Jesus as the only means of salvation. And thousands were added to their number that day because that was just the men. That number that it quotes is just the men that were added. There were more when you look at women and children. Most scholars and theologians believe that it was people in Jerusalem at that time who then went back to their homes, some of them in Rome, and they started the church without a leader, without an apostle, without someone to be that, that prominent. It's a nameless leader that we'll never know who started this church. But they started thriving to the point where Paul raves about them, and we'll see that as well. You guys, I hope it's okay that we go into great lengths about this history because this is our history. 
as people who follow Jesus Christ. This is important. Why is it important? What if you're supposed to be a nameless, faceless leader that makes an impact on our world and on the nations, and no one ever knows your name for it except the one who cares, the one who matters, your heavenly Father. He knows your name because you stood in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul's God-given job to make sure that Gentile Christians in this important city clearly understood the gospel and that they lived it out practically and that they lived it out daily and that they didn't muddle it or intermingle it with some sort of religion but Christ alone. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going we're gonna to stay there. We're going to look verse by verse. Um, and, and obviously we're going to start at the opening words of Paul's introduction to these, these big city strangers. The first thing we're going to see is that Paul says something about himself. And please, please pay attention to his opening words. Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called by God to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. That's the first descriptor that Paul uses to describe himself to this, this group of strangers. Slave, servant. Doulos is that word. A- and, and doulos is a very affectionate word. Here's what it means. It means that they served their time um, And that at the end of their obligation, they were given freedom. And the slave said, no, I I will stay in this church. No longer as a slave, but as a servant and recognized as a son of the house. It was a very affectionate term. And Paul uses it saying, I, he uses it often. I am a slave for Jesus Christ. I am a doulos for for Jesus Christ. I am a servant. No one makes me do this. This is not out of religious obligation. It's because he is kind and good. And I, I have nowhere else to go where I would find fulfillment in life. So I stay in this house and I serve this master. And that's his first introduction. Paul, a slave, a servant, doulos of Christ Jesus, called by God to be an apostle. Called by God to be a messenger. That, that's what he's saying. I'm called by God, and I'm sent by him to bring a message set apart for the gospel of God. He says something humble about himself, and it's just an incredible reminder to me. We don't have to elevate ourselves. We don't have to promote ourselves. We don't have to rave about ourselves. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to make it about ourselves. I don't care what it is. Christ is all in all and all that we need. He says something humble about himself, but he has authority to speak God's word. He makes this clear. I am an apostle. I am sent. I am one who speaks not of my own authority, but with the authority of God. And that's important because there's an audience that he wants to to hear and to receive what he has to say. And so he he makes it clear right away. My life is not my own. 
and I messed it this way. And then he declares that he knows something of his calling. He was set apart for the work of preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Number one, I said Paul has something to say about himself. Number two, Paul has something to say about his message. Verse two, I am set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel, the good news, the fulfillment of promise. It was promised ahead of time. It was promised for centuries. And Paul makes it among his first words to say, we have seen the fulfillment of promise. We are no longer waiting for promise. We've seen it. It was prophesied by prophets and seen in Scripture and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. God promised the gospel before it came. Do you guys have any idea how people were saved prior to Jesus? Like all throughout like the Old Testament. Let's just go ahead and say the Old Testament. You know how people were saved throughout the Old Testament? By believing in the promise. Not even the, not even the person. We believe in the person of Jesus Christ. They believed in the promise of the Messiah. Unlike any other religion or any other philosophy, the Christian faith is good news. It's an announcement of the good news of what God has already done. And I love that because in the Old Testament, it was, it was the promise of God, what God would do. But now what do we rave about? What God has done. If you've believed in Jesus Christ and you don't know a lick of Scripture, let me pause. You change that. Change that. I mean, memorize scripture too. I mean, that you know, spend time in the Word. But let's say you, you don't have a single scripture memorized. You can still rave about Jesus because of what He has done in your life. There's a cool story. A friend of mine was in my fantasy football league, um, and he had a rough, rough, rough childhood, rough upbringing, and he encountered a friend. And the friend started talking about Jesus, and something resonated within him, and he knew it was true. And he knew it was true. And he'd heard stuff before, but at this point, he knew it was true. And he hung with a bad crowd. And he, he prayed, and he gave his life to the Lord. And then later on that night, you know what he did? He went to a party, and he got high. And as he was getting high, he started raving about Jesus. And his friends all started making fun of him. They're like, you're such a hypocrite. What are you even talking about? You're getting high with us. And he said the most amazing thing. He said, I know, and I'm still weak, but I believe that he's going to be my strength one day, but I'm still weak right now. He said, but, but I, I'm telling you, just because I'm weak, that doesn't mean that he's not strong, and that doesn't mean that he's not real. And then he got up and took the drugs and said, I'm going to prove it. They're like, no! And he went to the toilet, and he flushed it down the toilet. And he lives for Christ today. But what a testimony as he is high saying, I know that right now I'm not where I should be and my, and my walk is going to increase, but I believe in Jesus. And just because I'm being weak right now doesn't mean that I don't believe. How amazing is that? Now, that would 
probably tick off a lot of religious people. But you know who it doesn't tick off? Jesus. Jesus. Number three, has Paul has something to say about Jesus. The very heart of everything Paul says is about Jesus Christ. Verse 3, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. In verse 3, Paul deals with the way that Jesus became flesh. Jesus was, he, he is God, he was with God, Jesus has always been, he didn't just appear, you know, on Christmas Day in zero, you know, A.D. or whatever, yeah, I mean, he's always been God, he's always been the son of God. And when he came to this earth, he gave himself a new title, he, he gave himself a, a moniker, the son of what? Son of man. He was the son of God, and he came down, and now he says, I'm the son of man. Fully God, but also human. A and so Paul is making note of this right now, saying he's the son of God, he, he was the son of man, and he's, he's with the Father now, a resurrected human, but still God. I know, don't try and figure it all out. It kind of blows, you know, blows us away. But Jesus was the son of God before he was born. He existed before his birth. Jesus was divine creator. Jesus has always been. And then on Romans 1, 4, it goes on to say that at his resurrection, Jesus was appointed king of the universe. This is where we can use any superlative we can come up with. We can use the most exaggerative title that we want, and it will not be enough to describe Jesus. Supreme, awesome, king, ruler, strength of the universe. That's Jesus. Verse 4, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, if Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, if he did not conquer death, we don't rave about him. We wouldn't rave about him. We wouldn't remember him. He wouldn't be victor. He wouldn't be champion. Champion. He wouldn't be, be king. Paul even says it. If, if he didn't raise from the dead, then none of us should be worshiping him. But the truth is what? He conquered death. He rose from the grave. He, he walked the earth for 40 days, eating with people, meeting with people, and then he ascended, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. In verse 5, we see that every spiritual blessing comes to us through, to us through Jesus. Paul says this, uh, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. You've received grace. Say, say, I've received grace. If we believe in Jesus, we've received grace and, and we need it. But now say this, I've received apostleship. You guys know what that means? It means you have a message 
to share about Jesus. Not about yourself. This isn't your story. About Jesus. To share. You're called to do it. You're sent to do it. And you're expected to do it. All of us. Not just Paul. Not just Andy. Not just Mark. Not just whoever. All of us. See, I'm getting excited now. I love, I love Romans. How often, I mean, we've only covered five verses. So just a reminder, let's not fly through Scripture. I honestly, like, if, if your goal is to read a chapter a day, change your goal to read ten verses a day, but to read those ten, like, ten times. Like, to, to know the Word, to seek the Word, to find truth, to dialogue with the Holy Spirit. And like, Holy Spirit, explain this to me. What does this mean? I don't understand what this means. And then to interact with the Lord. Lastly, in these verses, Paul addresses himself to the Christians at Rome. So verses 6 and 7. He says, including you, so he's saying you too, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are people that have been called, and I'm letting you know right now that call has gone out to everyone who will believe. It is a wide net that has been cast. And God calls us because he loves us. I, I love that portion of that video we saw about the, the, the if, saying that God's just generous with himself. He's generous with himself. He's generous with his love for us. He calls us to belong to Christ. He calls us to be people that are different than the rest of the world. Which is good news, because some of y'all are different. And that's good. But we're to be different from the rest of the world. We're to have a different set of... Um, of values, and I'm not trying to assign like earthly values on this right now. I'm talking about with a kingdom mindset, kingdom values. Kingdom values where that the word obedience doesn't shake us, it doesn't offend us, it doesn't uh, make us feel like we have to explain ourselves to somebody because if, if they don't understand, then we'll, we'll just trust God to unpack that for them. But obedience is a word of affection for us, not obligation. As a matter of fact, it's part of the Great Commission, right? We're told, go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And we stop, right? But then Jesus says, teaching them to what? Obey everything I've said. Why? Because our God is good and he's trustworthy and it's not heavy. Paul includes them in this. Paul includes you in this. He includes me in this. He includes us in this. And with this, Paul's introduction is complete. He has introduced himself. He has introduced his message. And he has introduced Jesus. And what an introduction. So where does he go from here? 
I'll give you a hint, and if I mean, you, you can read it. I encourage you to read Romans 1, 1 through 17, because that's where I'll land next week. But where he goes after this introduction is he introduces them. He raves about them. He encourages them. I do want to say this. Friends, encouragement should be one of the things that just flows from us. Every single one of us. It just flows from us. I'm talking about all the time. Even when, we, when we're having a bad day, even when we don't feel it, encouragement should flow from us. It uplifts us. It strengthens us. It's representative of Jesus. I think, I think Jacob is back there pointing to his wife saying, Brittany, you should be encouraging me right now. Amen, brother. Let's encourage one another. stop now because it, it seems like a good place to stop. The, the call I want to throw out there right now is who are you called to reach with the message of the gospel? With the message of hope? With the message of peace? To be, to be confident, not, not in ourselves and not in our, our ability to, you know, to orate, to, to break down scripture, to what, but confidence in God. When someone says, man, I just have no peace, I just have no joy, where, the, where the, our light, our face should light up and we should say, oh my gosh, I've got such good news. I know the one who can give you peace and you can know him too, but it's only found in Jesus Christ. You don't have joy? Today is your, is your lucky day, and I'm not being facetious. Because I can pray with you right now. And I can make this introduction to Jesus, because he's the one who gives joy. I don't, man, I've got such good news for you. You can have hope. And you don't have to change your job, you don't have to change your circumstance, you don't have to do anything but believe in Jesus. And then let's just see what he wants to change. Let's just see what he wants to do. But you can trust everything that he wants to do. I know that's my job. I know, I, I get it. But it's your job too. It's your job too. See, my job is to stand up here and equip you to do these things, and, and I'm a saint also. I'm not just a pastor. I'm also a saint. So when it comes to the equipping of the saints, I'm being equipped as well. I'm, I'm called to this as well. But we are called with this call of apostleship to bring the good news of Jesus. Can we stand together as we close in prayer? And uh, just position your heart to a place of, of openness to receive, to make yourself available, and even to dialogue and respond with the Lord. Um, Lord, you're so good, and we thank you for including us in your plan of reaching hurting people that just need your touch, that need your salvation, that need you. And Lord, I know there's times that we don't feel equipped, and there's times we don't feel up to the task. But we thank you that you equip us as we go. Lord, you 
you actually bring words to us as we open our mouths and purpose to speak. Holy Spirit, we just ask for courage. Courage to step out of our, our comfort, uh, to step beyond our temperament, and, and to not be ashamed of even just a few words that read about you. Lord, we don't have to have this whole dialogue because you'll anoint and use even a few words that read about you to stir someone's heart. Lord, we just relinquish the lie that says we're the ones that have to, to, to save because we can't save nobody. But you can save, Lord. You're the only one who saves. So, Lord, use us to bring this message, this word, in this, in this call that you've given us as sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. I think this was pretty good, but I'm telling you, I can't wait to preach next week. I'm just saying, be here next week. It's going to be awesome, and we're just going to, I think there's good stuff to be learned. So, I um, hope to see you next week. Um, anything else? Any other announcements? All right, I'll leave us with, uh, with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have an amazing day. Uh, and we'll see you all next week.